Well, there is a long tension that's been running in our house for years, and uh, it's caused even some arguments before, and maybe you've experienced some of this as well, especially this time of year. And the question is, when can you start playing Christmas music? We have someone in our house that says, anytime. We have a few that say maybe, uh, a few as in me, that says, uh, not before Thanksgiving, and uh, we have one that just really thinks it should, should be whenever you want to do with it. And that's because so many of us, we, we love Christmas. How many of you guys love Christmas? How many of you love Christmas music? Yeah, it's just something that a lot of people love. Some people really don't enjoy it. Uh, but there's an ongoing debate of when you can start to do that. And here's what happens. The people who love Christmas music, maybe a couple days after January, they're already waiting, Right? They're anticipating, they're waiting for that time when they can start playing Christmas music again. When is it going to be socially acceptable to do that? See, some of us can't wait for Christmas to come around every year. But I've got a confession to make. I don't like Christmas. Now, I know I'm just rock some of your guys' world, and you might stand up and leave. Yeah, bah humbug, exactly. <laughs> Now, I love what we celebrate in the Christmas season, and I love Jesus, but I just don't like Christmas. And I'm just going to leave that here right now. I'll come back to it later, I promise. But today we start a new series called Already Not Yet. And we've entered a season starting today known as the season of Advent. And it's a season that starts four Sundays before Christmas. And it's a time of preparation, a time of waiting. Now, the word Advent, it actually means coming, and it comes from the Greek word Adventus. And we celebrate the coming of Jesus in a manger, the Son of God stepping down from heaven into our dark world as an earthly body. We celebrate that at Advent. But if Advent's about waiting for the coming of Jesus, then why do we celebrate it? We know that Jesus has already come. Why are we celebrating something that's already happened? Well, Scripture tells us what it was like to live in waiting for the first advent, what it was like to live waiting for the Messiah. Actually, that's what most of the Old Testament is all about, this waiting period before the Messiah would come, people preparing for the first advent, and that's the already, the thing that's already happened. So what do we make of these scriptures that we hear quoted during Christmas time? Like, uh, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, in Isaiah 9. Well, okay, we got that. The son has come, the son is given. But then the next part, the government will be upon his shoulders. That doesn't seem like that's what's happening today. Or what about Micah 4? And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. That doesn't sound like today. So if Jesus has come, what's going on? Because we don't live in a world that has peace. We don't live in a world that doesn't have sorrow or pain or suffering. But that's what the prophets foretold. The coming of Jesus, he said, would bring about a new kingdom. So did the prophets that we read about in the Old Testament, did they get it wrong? I mean, Jesus himself said things like, the kingdom of God is here. But he also prayed, thy kingdom come. If we've already experienced the advent that the Old Testament is all about and foreshadowing with the coming of Christ, then why is there so much suffering? Now, we started off this year talking about the kingdom of God. We did a series called Hashtag Blessed, and we looked at the Beatitudes. 
It was all about the kingdom of God and how it's already here on earth. But yet, if we really admit it, it's not. At least not fully. See, we live in this space between. It's the period between the first advent and the coming advent, the second advent. And that's where this idea of already not yet comes from. See, in the coming of Christ born in a manger, we have the first advent, but the story, it's not over. There's a second advent yet to come, the not yet. So there's two advents, but only one kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how many of you guys have seen this before. This is the Lord of the Rings. Now, to many of you, this is an epic story that you've read several of you many times. For some of you, he's like, I didn't know it was a book. I thought it was just movies. But this is the Lord of the Rings. But this is also the Lord of the Rings. Now, the Lord of the Rings, as amazing as this story is, it's one continuous story, but it has three different parts, three different chapters, you could say. And see, the prophets were looking ahead to Advent. They got it right, but they only saw it in 2D, right? They didn't see it in 3D. They didn't see the space between these chapters, This is all the Lord of the Rings, but it's separate stories that make up this one giant story. So there's one kingdom of God. It's here, but it's in 3D, and we can see that now. See, we even mark the passing of time this way. So before Christ and after Christ, right? B.C. and A.D. And so if you think about this with the Lord of the Rings, you have B.C. This is the space between this and this. But Jesus, when Jesus came, that we celebrate at Christmas season, we mark time after that differently. After that first advent, it's no longer before Christ, it's after death, right? Or Anno Domini, A.D., the second advent. And this is where we live, the space between these two advents, between the coming of Christ and his coming again, the overlap between Christ coming in a manger and his coming in glory, or for what's going to be for us, the return of the king, if you're familiar with the stories. In this, this space right here, this is where we live. This is the already not yet. We're somewhere in here. Now, we don't know where. Maybe it's more along this edge. Maybe it's more along this edge. But we're between these two advents. And theologians, they refer to this as the already not yet kingdom of God. Now, the more technical term for this, if you like that kind of stuff, is inaugural eschatology. That's your big word for the day, inaugural eschatology. Now, what does that mean? We're going to work backwards here to understand what this is. Eschatology is the study of end times. And it comes from two Greek root words, last and study. So it's the study of end things. And in in the Christian tradition, that's primarily talking about the study of the end times. And we know today people are fascinated by the study of end times. And it's good for us to think about that. But it's often easy to get so engrossed in thinking about that, thinking about what's going to happen here, that we forget that the kingdom of God has already come. That we're living in this space here. And honestly, the Bible spends most of its time speaking to us about what we're supposed to be doing in this space here. 
The study of the kingdom of God, of death, afterlife, heaven, hell, all that, the second coming, judgment, a new heaven and a new earth, all of that is eschatology. So the first word, inaugural, we're probably more familiar with, especially around election times, right? Inaugural means the marking of a beginning. So a moment that says this is when this is starting. So we live in inaugural eschatology, the already but the not yet. We're in the story of the kingdom of God. But in the story, we're waiting. We're waiting in this space between for the conclusion or really, to be more accurate, a new beginning, right? A new beginning. I heard a great example of this, if, if the Lord of the Rings doesn't resonate with you. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the events that happened on June 6th, 1944? Anyone know what happened then? Whether you were alive or witnessed it, or you learned about it in school, June 6th, 1944 is known as D-Day. If you've seen Save a Private Ryan, you've seen this played out. The world was at war, and June 6th is the day that the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy, and there was a terrible battle. Thousands died, and D-Day marked the turning point. History marks that as the time that the war was won, but in reality, World War II didn't end at the Battle of Normandy. The war wasn't official, officially over until almost a year later on what's known as VE Day, Victory in Europe. Tuesday, May 8th of 1945. See, the war was won on D-Day, but the war wasn't over until VE Day. And that's the already not yet. Christ has come. The battle we know has been won, but there are still, or the war's been won, but there are still battles being fought. So that means that there's still going to be pain and still be suffering. Sin is still warring within us. And we just finished a series talking about seven of those sins that can so often take over our lives because we live in this space between these advents. So what do we do with this space between the already and the not yet? That's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. What do we do with this space between the first advent and the second advent? If you've got your Bibles, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Open up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start looking in verse 18. says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for the future, for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when all will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised for us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. See, Paul's saying that there are two ages. He says the present age and the age yet to come. The already and the not yet. 
And in this present age where we're living today, there's suffering, physical suffering, wars, pains, disease, death, moral failures. See, the present age is full of all of this because of the fall of man and because of our sin. See, Christ's coming didn't rid the world of trouble. In fact, actually, it actually escalated that moment. The tension built between good and evil. And Paul tells us in spite of all this suffering, he says it doesn't even compare. So don't even bother trying to compare it with what's coming in the future. As painful as our present is, it's incomparable to what's coming when Christ comes yet again. So we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at what is coming. See what's promised us when the not yet kingdom of God arrives. See, our world will be transformed and all the pain and frustration and evil will all be completely gone. These bodies that often fail us, that get sick, that hurt, our struggles, our fears, all that you're going through right now, sadness, it will all be gone. But right now in the already, we will have suffering. Now, Paul goes on to say that all creation has been groaning, he says. In the example he gives is the pains of childbirth. Now, I have no absolute, I have absolutely no authority to talk about the pains of childbirth, okay? I was present for the entire duration of both of our girls' pregnancies and both of their deliveries. I was there. I saw the pain, but I did not experience it. But here's what I do know. My wife never once, even in the hard times, has ever regretted it. It was worth it. The pains, the sickness, the discomfort, the changes that happen to a woman's body when she's pregnant, the pain of actual delivery. In one case in our family, 31 hours. That doesn't compare to the joy that our children have brought to us. And yes, I did get permission from my wife to say that. She agreed. See, pregnancies are tough, but we wait. With, as the scripture says, expectation, or some translations will say, eager expectation. And that phrase that Paul uses, eager expectation, is actually a fancy Greek word. Apokaradikio. It's a funny one. You could say that a couple times. And it carries with this, this idea of like, like a child reaching over, trying to just look to see what's there on their tippy toes, right? This eager expectation, trying to see what's coming. It's not just sitting there waiting, it's active. See, when you find out you're going to have a baby, you don't just sit and wait for it to happen. You prepare and your world begins to change long before that baby arrives, most people will prep a room. You pick out names. You baby-proof the house. Or if you're like me, you have to learn how to change a diaper or that stroller. I couldn't figure out how to unfold it, right? I had to spend time preparing. And a mother's body changes. And it's not just the physical preparation. I mean, you begin to think differently. Anyone who's a parent knows that your perspective of life just changes. You begin to see things with a different point of view because you're looking ahead to the birth of your child with eager expectation. See, these moments, these eager expectation moments in our life, that's when we grow. 
When we begin to follow Jesus, we begin a lifelong process called discipleship. And, and that's when we're changed by Jesus, becoming more like him. And who does Paul say is doing this groaning? All creation. Everything. Nature, even. We see this all around us. The earth is groaning. Things appear to be falling apart. Some of us appear to be falling apart, right? Yeah, amen, exactly. And Christ followers, we're not exempt to this. Now, some of us might have been told that. That when we follow Jesus, that our life is not going to have pain and suffering and everything's going to be great and there's never going to be any problems. And if you were told that, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. Because in fact, even for the Christ follower, we groan. Paul tells us actually that we're doing that because we've already experienced a foretaste or, or some scriptures say the first fruits. So we've seen just a glimpse of the glory of God. We've seen just a glimpse of this not yet. And because of that, we groan even more because we know what's yet to come because we've seen his glory. First John chapter one says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. See, we've experienced a little bit of the kingdom of God. There's an old hymn that I used to sing growing up called Blessed Assurance. You might know this. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. And the next line says, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We've seen a little bit of what's to come. We know that the way the world is now is not the way it's supposed to be. But we know who's won the war. We've been changed and we've been saved. And although we know who's won the war, we're not home yet. There's still wars being fought. Not just physical wars, but wars within us. Paul tells us in verse 24, he says, For this hope you were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we have hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. See, we have hope, but we live in the tension. Now, the week before Christmas in 1985, I was nine years old. And I was lying in my bed and I heard this sound. Does anyone know what that sound is? Raise your hand if you recognize it. Those of you under the age of 40 probably do. I heard this sound for several hours. Actually, hours just went on. And I knew exactly what it was. It was a dot matrix printer. You remember those? has little tabs on the side. And I knew in order to have a printer, you had to have a computer. And that meant one thing. This Christmas, I was getting a computer. Now, I knew that our family had been looking at a computer for a while. We've been looking at the Atari ST. There's a picture of it up here in the screen. Yeah. Now, this was an amazing computer. I know when we think of Atari, we think of video games, but this was so much more. This was actually one of the first mass-produced personal computers, and it was a game-changer in the, in the landscape of technology. It was the first computer with bitmapped color graphics interface, and it was the first personal computer to ship with a megabyte of RAM. Yes, a megabyte. You heard that right. Now, to give you some perspective, my phone has six gigabytes of RAM. So it would take 6,000 of those computers 
to equal what I have on my phone and what you have on your phone. But this was an awesome computer. I wanted to run downstairs and see it, even at whatever time it was in the morning. But I knew I couldn't. It was late. It was past my bedtime. But in the morning, oh, eager expectation, right? So I got up and I woke up with eager expectation. I ran down the stairs to find the basement door locked. And this was not normal. So I asked my parents, why is the basement door locked? And my parents said something about needing to secure it because we were going out of town for the week. And then my heart sank. And I remembered, we're going out of town for Christmas. We're going to Oklahoma, hours and hours away. The door is locked to the printer, to the computer that I wanted to experience with eager expectation. It was down there. It was in our house, all my dreams of coding and gaming and all that stuff that was going to happen. It was all downstairs, but I couldn't see it. I already had it. I knew it was down there, but not yet. I had to wait a whole week. I had a gift and I knew it was good, but it wasn't yet fully mine. It wasn't open yet. I was eagerly expecting it, but I had to advent for it. I had to wait. I knew it was going to be good because my parents loved me. And I knew that I had good loving parents. I trusted that, but I had to wait. And sometimes that waiting is hard. And I didn't like it. I actually remember this. I was so excited and yet so disappointed. Because I wanted to experience that Atari now. And you know what? For the first little bit of that trip, I had a bad attitude. I was really cranky about that. I couldn't say anything about it, but I remember that feeling inside of wanting something that was there, but I couldn't have it. I had to wait. Any of you parents who've already put up your Christmas tree, you know what this is like, right? There's presents under the tree and your kids see them and they want them, but they can't have them. Not yet. They know it's something good. They have faith. They love you. They know that you're going to give them good gifts. I mean, Hebrews says that faith is confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we yet do not see. We know it's something good. Have you ever heard of those video clips or seen those video clips of children who receive cochlear implants? I'm going to see some up here on the screen. I'm going to turn it up a little bit more. All right. How does it sound now? Good. Is it sounding better? These are kids that are born Can you with hear my voice parents. now? Yeah. What about mom's totally voice? Down. Can you hear my voice? Yes. And when they hear something for the first time, look at that. <laughs> they can hear and they've been healed. They're overcome with emotion. <laughs> every sound is new to them. First it hearing takes aid. a while to learn what the with sound is supposed to sound like. Hello, Lachlan. Look at this adorable baby here just in pain and wondering what's going on. Hello, Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. 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 Hello.
the journey of discovering. <laughs> that the tells you sound. it's not yeah, so yeah, bad when she say there is. I did. He's smiling. Oh, hearing her mother talk for the first time. And sometimes it's painful when she first heard that sound and they're experiencing the already, but the not yet. See, we've already had the first advent. We've already been saved. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, we have a new life, but we're in this space between chapters and we have to learn. And sometimes it's painful. We have to prepare. We have to get ready and we have to wait. See, suffering is real. Pain is real. We live in the tension of the already, not yet. See, just when we might be getting in the Christmas spirit, we then experience the tension. Loss, brokenness, pain, fear, war, a disease. Things are falling apart, but yet there's a glimmer of hope. And we recognize that in this season. That light is always breaking through the darkness, hope in the darkness. Paul actually said, he said it was for this hope that we're saved. So we're like children in the month of December waiting. Now, I don't like waiting. I'd like to think that I've grown up a bit since nine-year-old Stephen wanting that computer. But to be honest, I still struggle with waiting. And a lot of the arguments that I've gotten in with my spouse are about waiting. Most people don't like waiting. There's actually a story in New York Times several years back about the trouble that was happening at airlines because people were complaining about having to get off the plane and wait for their luggage on the baggage carrier. You guys experienced this before? Yeah. So to help with the issue, they had a couple ideas. First, they said, let's hire more baggage workers. So they tried to improve the sorting system, whatever we could do to make this go faster. And although it did cut down on the time, the complaints, they still kept coming. But then someone brilliant had an idea. See, some people were coming off the plane and their gates, they were, the, the, the baggage claim was right next to the gate. And so they would stand there and stand there and stand there waiting. And with the waiting, as with most of us, comes complaining. But then someone had the idea, let's just move the baggage claim further away from the gate. And if you've been to an airport recently, you know that actually sometimes it's really far away. So now people would get off their flights, and they would have to make this long walk. But guess what? The complaints stopped. In fact, the article cites that they actually started to get praise for people arriving at the baggage claim and their bags were already there for them. Now, the time between those events had not changed. The only thing that had changed was what people were doing in the waiting. They weren't just walking off their plane and standing there. They were doing something. And there's something about us being active and doing something in the waiting that it doesn't feel like waiting. All that had changed in that situation was the space between when they walked off the plane and where they picked up their bags. See, the problem with waiting is when we're not doing anything meaningful while we wait. So what are you doing in your waiting? What are you doing in this space between Jesus coming and him coming again? Now, I'm not trying to trivialize this. I know that life is hard. 
For some of us, this waiting has actually become unbearable because we're not nine-year-olds waiting for a computer. We're waiting for test results. We're waiting for our relationship to heal, but it looks like our marriage isn't going to make it. We're waiting for him to stop treating us that way. We're waiting for a job that we desperately need to make ends meet. We're waiting for healing. We're just waiting. But what do we do in this waiting? What do we do in the tension between the already and the not yet? Now, the war is won. We know that we're saved, but the battles aren't over. As I think about this, I think, why would God do it this way? Why didn't he just usher in the kingdom of God in its entirety right here on Bethlehem that night? That's what everyone was expecting. That's what the Old Testament prophets were thinking was going to happen. The birth of a new king who would make everything right and take away all of the struggles. But that wasn't God's plan. The kingdom came in that first advent, but it's not yet here in its fullness. Because you and I, we had to be saved. And a price had to be paid for us on the cross. So Jesus came and he brought with him a new kingdom. And he made a way for us to be a part of it. But why so long between this space? I mean, for, for most of us, we'd say these aren't even close. There's just this seemingly never-ending gap between the already and the not yet. Why are we still waiting? Why are we still here? I don't have a complete answer for that. But Scripture does give us a few reasons why we're living in this tension between the already and the not yet. Second Peter chapter 3. If you've got that, let's read this together. Second Peter chapter 3. Starting in verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Then down in verse 8, it says, but we must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear. And fire and then the earth and everything in it will be found to deserve judgment. Why is they're waiting. Why are we waiting? We're waiting because he's waiting. God, Jesus is waiting for us, patiently waiting that the world would turn, Scripture says, with eager expectation to his coming again. Now, today is the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday which we focus on the hope that we have in Christ. The hope that came down at that first advent and the hope of what's going to come again. As followers of Jesus, we await his return. And as we do every year, we light a candle. Many of you have lit advent candles before and these candles, they represent different aspects of things that we're waiting for. And so this morning, we light the candle of hope that reminds us that we're eagerly awaiting the coming of the King. 
The king who has come and the king who will come again. So we light this candle to remind us to be waiting, to be ready, to be alert. You're going to see a prayer up here on the screen. I'd like us to read this together. You guys are going to read the parts that are in yellow. Lord, you bring ultimate hope into the world. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Heavenly Father, we long for your plan of rescue and redemption to be fully realized. Give us hearts that see your beauty and wait in hope for you to make all things good and new again. O come, O come, Emmanuel. May your hope burn strong in our hearts, spreading hope to those around us. Amen. Now, I told you at the beginning of this message that I didn't like Christmas. I don't really hate Christmas, but I do struggle with the season. I struggle with the season of Advent every year. See, I have a pattern in my life. Every year, usually sometime around December 23rd, or often even Christmas Eve, in the midst of trying to get things ready for Christmas Eve services throughout the years, I realize that I missed it. I've been so focused on everything else I had to do to get ready that all the things I wanted to do, the memories I wanted to make, the presents I wanted to buy, my family, all the things that I really wanted to do, I missed it. Because I let the busyness and the stress and all the other things in December get in the way. And it's Christmas Eve and I find myself realizing I missed it. But what are you doing in your waiting? What are you doing in this space? Not just in the month of December, but your whole life. Paul says, but if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it patiently. So what does it look like for you over these next four weeks to make the most of what's happening in your life between here and here? Between Jesus coming and Jesus coming again. As we end, I want to challenge you with something to do this week. And I'm going to do this too, and I can already tell you that I am going to struggle with it. You might too. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to be looking for the already. I want you to look for, to recognize, maybe write it down if you even have to, the ways that the kingdom of God has already broken through in your life. Name them. Write them down. How has the light of the world step down into darkness. Now, for some of us, this is not easy because we're too busy groaning. But where do you see glimpses of God's kingdom already? Maybe it's the look on a kid's face when you, they see the Christmas lights turn on or the deep connection that you feel when you have coffee with a friend or the sense of peace that you get from the Holy Spirit as you open up your Bible tomorrow morning to have some quiet time. Maybe it's the healing power that happens in your life from a good hug. Maybe it's recognizing the blessings that you have in your job as much as you might not love your job. Maybe it's seeing opportunities to be the light of Christ to a stranger on the street or a family member or get this, maybe even somebody you don't like. Maybe it's looking back and seeing how far God has brought you seeing how much in your life has changed and recognizing that's the already, that's the kingdom of God already in your life. Now here's the second part. 
be looking for the not yet. Now, this is a lot easier for most of us. But where are you seeing examples of living in this tension? That means recognizing the pain and the suffering, the sin that's in your life, the struggles you're going through, but, but not dwelling on them, realizing them, that they're just part of this eager expectation. So look around you, recognize them. You can groan about them. Scripture says you're going to groan about them. But recognize that we're in the space between that the kingdom of God is not yet fully realized. And Romans tells us, he says, this is not even going to compare with whatever your list might be of the things you're experiencing now. So as we start this Advent season, are you getting ready? Are you preparing? What are you doing with your waiting? Let's pray together. God, may each and every one of us be like those kids like many of us often are, as we wake up Christmas morning eagerly expecting what we're about to receive. God, may our life reflect that journey. That we live in the already, Lord, but we're waiting for the not yet. And may we do something that brings you glory during that waiting. Lord, may we look and take, take assessment of our own lives, especially in this season, when the busyness happens and all the things that can often distract us. And may we focus and ask, what am I doing in my waiting? Lord, thank you for the blessings that we experience in the already. But God, we thank you. We thank you ahead of time for the things that we're going to experience in the not yet. God, we thank you for allowing us to be part of your kingdom. And we so look forward to being part of your fully realized kingdom, the new heaven and the new earth. So God, help us this week to look for ways to do something for you, something for others, something that brings joy and peace and light and hope to the world in our waiting. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.